We know the kitchen is where it all goes on. We chew the fat, make all of life's big decisions and eat straight from the tin when no one's watching. Join me, Anna Barnett, as I head straight to the heart of our guest home, where I swoon over interiors. I'm impressed by the sheer scale of a fridge and cover the most organised of freezers. We dig deep. Discuss career highs, career lows, condiment shelves and so much more. There's of course plenty of serious food chat. Each week we'll finish things off with our guests' best sandwich efforts and possibly a snoop in their fridge. Today's guest worked her way up the ranks beneath renowned chef Gordon Ramsay. She made her mark on London's culinary world through gaining her first Michelin star while at the helm of the iconic Connaught Hotel. With an illustrious career spanning over two decades, our guest has gone on to build a restaurant empire with yet another star, secured an MBE and is ever present on our screens. She is revered throughout the culinary world for the simplicity of her menus and her respect for quality ingredients. Her trademark approach to Italian-influenced food has become synonymous with her restaurants, which continue to thrive across London. Today, I'm joined by Angela Hartner. Welcome to The Filling and to your own kitchen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Anna. <laughs> Great to see you. You're looking bright and breezy. Thank you. Well, you've been to the gym, which puts uh, me to shame because I have not. Okay, well, no, <laughs> I didn't come out of lockdown like a lot of people fitter. I came out thinking I'm still the same way. I haven't got any fitter, so we're determined, my sister and I. So we've do- we're doing it together, which I think helps. I think if you've got a companion. I think you and, need that. Yeah, to sort of spur each other yeah. along. So that's what we're doing twice a week. So twice we'll see. And I think the shame of kind of not turning up or being the first, like you just wait for them to cancel. You don't, exactly. You yeah, yeah, exactly. So restaurants, outdoor spaces are opening up. Um, how does this, albeit gradual, return to normality feel? Have you dined out yet? Have you been to your local pub? Ironically, I haven't been to our local pub. I live in a great part of London and the Golden Heart is my local, run by Sandra Esquilan, who's been there for over 40 years. She's incredible. But unfortunately, I just as everyone sitting outside doesn't appeal to me at the moment, I'd much rather wait till we can open up and sit inside in the back where she has all her regulars and neighbours and friends. Yeah. Um, I've been to a couple of restaurants. I went to Rochelle Canteen. I've been to the Rosewood Hotel. So I've eaten out a little bit. But um, now the weather's nice. I love actually eating in our garden. I mean, I know we've done that for a whole year, but I quite <laughs> like still doing that. So, um, but I'm looking forward to when it goes back to like this D-Day in June yeah. where all the restrictions, you know, I pray that that will happen. That yeah. will be great. Is it a Monday that that's kind of coming into play? Isn't it the 21st of Something. June? I yeah. mean, it's going to be bedlam. It's going to be know. bedlam. Everyone's going to be taking off. In fact, my birthday is the 18th. So I was like, I can push this back. I might just yeah. carry on throughout the entire weekend. Exactly. Into exactly. the 22nd. Yeah. What's what's this partially look like for you? How how bonkers has it been or not? Or um, To be honest, I think um, I've worked pretty much throughout it. So I don't feel like, I mean, there's some people when I hear other people or speak to other people and they've, you know, talk about someone who's never left their house for six months or even a year. Yeah. You know, some people have really, really self-isolated and shielded. From the beginning, we did a charity thing, Cook 19. I did it with a great friend of mine, Lulu Dillon. Yeah. So that was, if you like, first lockdown. So is that, that was first lockdown because I was gonna, actually going to ask you about that yeah. because it grew like to enormous numbers very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we basically, Lulu started doing it. She started cooking for a few friends of hers that were doctors and nurses. I saw that she was doing that via her sister. And I called Lulu. I said, how are you doing it? I'll give you a hand, you know. And she was staying with her parents, her father, excuse me, in Beaconsfield. And so Mike, love Mike Dillon, hero who, that he is, would drive from Beaconsfield every morning to come and pick food up that I prepared here. Right. 
and then drive it back and deliver it. And then Lulu and I sort of thought, we better get a bit serious about this. So I approached Greg at Smart Hospitality in Bermondsey. Right. And he basically said, you can have our massive kitchens. And then other people came on board. As soon as we started doing a little bit of social, you know, we had um, Hawksmoor, we had Derby's, we had Oaxaca. We had so many suppliers just donate stuff. And it did, it grew to the stage. By the time June, when everything was starting to open up again, July, we we knocked it on the head. Because in a way, the hospitals had got on top of everything. Yeah. Um, we were doing up to a 1,000 meals a day. And how many people were involved in that in the end then? Well, there's probably about 30 volunteers because you'd had people like Dominic Cooper was a volunteer. He would come every week on a Monday, Tuesday to take all, you know, the stuff. Because what we tried to do is keep people into groups. Right. Because actually what you didn't want, so I would cook for two days, another group would cook another two days because you don't want 20 chefs all in the kitchen at the same time. Yeah. You don't want all the volunteers. So it's very staggered to make sure. Because again, still we weren't, you know, everyone, I know people who were, you know, you wouldn't give some people the jar you've just given me, but they wouldn't sanitize it and wash it and all that. I mean, I never did that, but I know. So we were being very, very careful. Um, and then um, Lulu, and rightly so, she said, I think the hospitals know what they're doing. You know, when the second lockdown came, she called me. She was, what do you think? I said, no. I said, I think we've done what we needed to do. The, you know, it was a non-profit organization. We still got donations people get. And what Lulu's decided, we're going to wait a year and then any money left, she's going to donate it to NHS charities, Amazing. you know. So it's all really above board and it's been brilliant. She's, you know, she's great. I love her. That's so amazing to kind of get that up and off the ground so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's your default. Well, <laughs> you know uh, how to do she's this. more organised. I just say, you just tell me what to do. I do the menu and just tell me where to be and what to do. Yeah. That's pretty impressive though. Yeah. We have to talk about your kitchen because I'm in your kitchen. I feel very, very privileged and was very excited this morning. Yeah. And we all know that the kitchen is kind of where everyone gravitates to. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you set up something gorgeous up in your garden or yeah, outside yeah, yeah. and you're down kind of making up the food mm. and drinks. Everyone, yeah, I presume yeah, yeah. it's the same for you, yeah. ends up kind of cramming into the kitchen yeah, space yeah, and yeah. bothering you or eating or I don't yeah. know, whatever happens. So will you talk us through your kind of your kitchen here? Yeah, you've been, you were just telling me before you've been here for 60 or Yeah, over, uh, yeah. Over 16 okay. years, 18 years probably by now. Um, yeah, look, we live in a great part of London. We live in Spitterfields. We're very lucky in an old Georgian house. So the house is probably over 200 years old. Um, parts of this kitchen will be that age, probably certain panelling and stuff. Um, but then obviously where the cooker and the hob are, that's very modern. Not very modern. It's done in the style, but um, it's a modern piece of furniture. Um, and we're great. You know, we got, we live in a lovely neighbourhood. We've got great neighbours. I mean, really great neighbours. That was one Love thing in that. lockdown. Neil would be baking bread and just taking stuff. And I'd text next you door. Guys, you guys must be the good neighbours. Yeah, yeah. You're saying you've got great neighbours. Everybody else must be going, actually, we've got the best neighbours. Yeah. But, you know, and we'd sort of text and go, look, we've got a bit of lemon meringue pie or something or we've got this and we'd just take it next door but then to be fair Kate who lives next door makes the best jam and marmalade I mean she is I mean it's brilliant her jam and marmalade so good so I'm always very happy when Kate drops that off and she's a great cook as well so it's yeah it's lovely and and you're right about it is where we have breakfast there's no tv in this room yeah, yeah there's laptops and all the rest of it but you know we do sit every night have a meal there's three of us live here Salvatore myself and my husband Neil um, and then my sister used to live here with us. So, you know, it's very, you know, it's great. We love it. And now it's nice weather. We'll sit outside as well, which yeah, is good. Amazing. And I'm noticing you've got, uh, is it an Arga? It's a Rayburn. Oh, so, oh Rayburn. Okay. But, so it's not um, like fire and coal or wood or anything. It is gas. But 
you know, we obviously have it off in the summer, but in winter it's super. So I mean, it will really it. light up. And you, we use it, you know, we'll cook on it. My mum, bless her cottons, did when my brother lived here, a whole Christmas lunch in that Arga. I mean, she was amazing. I don't I know just, how she did yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to kind of come in on this because actually in the last place that I lived, well, prior to my last lap, I lived actually in this old Victorian pub and we yeah. had a Rayburn. Yeah. I found it frustrating. Yeah. You've got, for me, it's too small on the top. So yeah. you've just got this rectangle on the top. It's warm. I could never boil. I could never boil water for pasta. Oh, well, that's weird. It yeah. would just never get that hot. And then that, yeah. there's not actually a lot of oven space. Yeah, I mean, we've got the two there. So we are starting to use it a bit more. And what we have done is we just got it serviced again because it sort of stopped and then basically got timers and then basically said to the guy, do not leave this house till we understand how to work the instructions. And no. it does the heating. Do yeah. you have it? Do you have everything? No, no, no. Oh, got this heat upstairs okay. in the sense that because of the pipe, but it uh, doesn't do okay. the heating, no. Yeah. Um, and so then you have a separate oven yeah. as well um, and then hob and you've yeah. got a little island bit going yeah. on here. And you've got this enormous kind of fireplace, which is a original yes. feature, which yeah. is so lovely. I feel like, have you renovated in here? Is this all very original? What's this the- is, it's all pretty original. Certainly the outside sections of it and the centre bit, like I said, the island and bits like that, That's that's been made to look like it's Georgian, but it's it's not. And basically they are listed buildings. You know, yeah. you're not allowed to touch the outside. Um, inside you need to get English heritage to approve right, any right. Um, procedures or whatever. So we've left it as is it, it is. It's grade it works. one listed then? Or grade um, two? It's grade two in the inside. I think grade one on the outside. My neighbours probably will know better than me but it's sort of you know we've managed and we like it and we love living oh, here amazing. so it's it yeah. is great yeah and then you've also I have to talk about this because this you've got kind of built was this here originally it's yeah. like an enormous yeah. built-in like shelving what? I suppose shelving. isn't it like, a, like dresser. a dresser yeah. yeah with all I'm seeing mocha pots and glass oh my god so much rubbish and stuff no. needs to be sorted out <laughs> <laughs> this is all the things that make it a home yeah, I'm seeing yeah, lots yeah. of condiments up here which has yeah, made me feel yeah, very yeah, happy yeah so there was never a kind of a time where you, you know between you and your husband both which you're both chefs uh where it's like we need this i need this there was never any kind of no i mean we love the fact it is lived in we love the fact it is a bit chaotic and all the rest of it. you know i've got friends who've got houses where everything is pristine it's you know you don't in its place and all all of that but um what i do find yeah occasionally i do like to have that surface clean but it seems to like even today I clean it and it accumulates stuff. And I can't. I mean, I'm as bad as anyone. There's like my bike helmet, there's plasters, there's dog treats and dog bite. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, it's never ending. Um, but so we try and get, keep it a bit tidier. Anyway, we're getting there. No, it's a home. I think you home, don't have yeah. to make excuses for that at all. Yeah. Anything you couldn't live without here. I feel like that. Um, I think, grinder. well, definitely a coffee grinder <laughs> yeah. to me. Coffee grinder, um, a good grater. I like a microplane. Yeah. I think we've really got into, we like a bit of sparkling water. So we bought a soda stream. Yes. And now I really, do, I would struggle to not have that because I really like having sparkling water. And just, and it's nice. And you don't have all the bottles. And yeah. it's, you know, it's really much more efficient to do it like that. And actually, I'd really miss uh, the Raven if we lost that because it does give off great heat and yeah. it's lovely and it's nice and warm and cosy. And it does always feel like the centerpiece to yeah. the kitchen as well. Whether, yeah. I mean, I. I loved it and it was a real love-hate yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a whole, actually, it's a whole other way of cooking. Yeah, exactly. From, yeah, it's slow. Complete, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slow. And also um, to bake it as well. You're in there, you're turning stuff yeah, out because yeah, one yeah. side cooks yeah. much hotter than the other. A uh, whole different, whole different game. Yeah. So 
What does an average night dinner look like here? So an average dinner is probably um, a bowl of pasta, maybe, or something like a chicken milanese, you know, breaded chicken fried in oil and then salad. Tend to keep, you know, one course, not, you know, it's not half a dozen things. Mostly during the week, I would say we're probably vegetarian. Yeah. Not by default, but it's just we're not massive meat eaters all week and then maybe have meat at the weekend. Um, and we tend to eat probably around six, seven, seven, seven thirty. I'm liking this. It's you know, <laughs> yeah, it's and like and it's, but very much. I suppose I cook one night. Neil cooks another night. Salvatore occasionally cooks, but not often. Very right. um, and most once we're back to normal, he works away from home during the week anyway. Right. And I suppose when we're all back to work fully, we probably only eat two or three nights a week, if that. And that will include weekends because we're working, Together. you know, in the, sh- you know, shifts and all the rest of it. So, but it's great. And, you know, we tend to, Neil's really good at using stuff up in the fridge. I have yeah. to say, you know. The refrigerator, that is a yeah. talent in itself. He's really good at that. You know, he'll use stuff up and he'll go in the larder and stuff like, like, like we went, did a massive trip to Japan a few years back and suddenly you'll see it. And he, I said, what's that? He goes, that stuff we bought back from Japan and he'll use, you know, he's really good. Whereas I'm quite... You know, I'll make what I make, but I don't necessarily go and think, oh, well, shall I just use that up? I'm good with eating pasta sauces, like right. the bits of bacon or pancetta and all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah. left. But And is it a dried pasta or are you making fresh pasta? Oh, dried. And, uh, in so, my mind, you're here rolling the no, pasta. Uh, we do when up. it's a field, like if I was making spinach tortelli or something, mm. or I was making, um, you know, something like that, then that's fair enough. When it's um, a dried, Dicecco, Barilla, it's as good as any for me. And, you know, and we've always got, I mean, You've, we've just been talking chilies before we've recorded. You know, we, if, to my mind, if you've got dried chilies, you've got garlic and olive oil and parmesan, you've got a meal. You know, oh, you don't need to. And then probably we might snip out to go and buy parsley. But other than that, you bottle of wine. Yeah, bottle of <laughs> wine and tin tomatoes. You know, yeah. that's that's basically our staple: tin tomatoes, olive oil, and any um, brand of tin tomatoes. Because I feel like there's Mooty are really. I have just ordered. They've got a deal on at the moment. Oh, I've got it. Oh, nice. Ordered it pink. About twenty tins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really laughing that actually I didn't even do that at the start yeah, of lockdown yeah, yeah, when yeah. everyone went crazy yeah. for tin tomatoes. But no, they're, they're good. And just a good Italian San Manzano tin tomato mm. would be good, yeah. Yeah. Is there any conflict between you and Neil when it comes to kind of dinner, who's doing what? No, the only time there's conflict, when he's like, for instance, making it for us, just a quick meal, I'd leave him alone. The only time is conflict if we have people over. Um, because <laughs> then he's so messy. I mean, right. I love him to death, but he's just carnage even yesterday we sat and had a friend in the garden and he cooked something and I said have you got that stain on your shirt you know and it drives me insane wear an apron you know so when I cook I always wear an apron just by default um because I just know I get messy all things splatter and all the rest of it and Neil's terrible like that so that drives me insane (laughs) and he doesn't clean as he goes so you know he will use every pan Mm. and it's just every surface and and then when he cleans, there's just, you know, water and it. it's like, oh my God. Anyway. And do so, the same rules apply? Because we, in my house, it's if you cook, then you don't do the washing up afterwards. Yeah. I mean, to, Salvatore, to his credit, is very good. <laughs> and he <laughs> will do, yeah, he'll do <laughs> that's all. That's probably in. why he doesn't eat, eat cook. Cause he does. But he does, he's really good like that. He'll tidy up and all the rest of it. But I sort of say like, the yeah, I don't know, a few months ago or something, I cooked supper and they came down. I said, just note clean surface clean as I go everything you know and they yeah. were like, <laughs> I was like you know so that's the only time we sort of have a bit of friction 
And then I'm just like, you know, then I say, get out. Or he's like, get out. And I'm like, yeah, but other than that, so there's fine. no default kind of falling back into that managerial role. No, like, no, right, no. What I'm going to need you to do here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get this no, done. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> None of that. Any dining rituals that go on? Epic feast, dinner parties. Yeah, I'm thinking neighbours are involved here somehow. We've we've done. We've, there's a few things we do. One, we do a freezer clear out, which we like doing. So I basically sort of I've, I will text a few neighbours and say, do you want to come for Sunday lunch or something? And I'll basically clear the freezer out. Could that be quite random? Could that end up being like a curry with like a mac yeah, and cheese? Sort of, and a- well, it's not quite so random. It's more that I've probably got a joint of meat in there that I sort of thing. And then I'll make accompaniments and stuff like that, which I do. Or it might be pasta or bowls of pasta or something like that. Then we do have like lots of family stuff like big, you know, Christmas is very big for us. No, we don't do big, big birthdays. We're not one of those families that every birthday celebrate it. And half the time we all forget everyone's birthday. But, you know, when people like my brother lives in the States, when he comes over or we haven't seen each other, we might just say, come on, let's have a supper or lunch and stuff. Yeah. And then I'll make pasta, we'll sit in the garden, all that and sort of everyone stuff. everyone comes here to you? Yeah, a lot of the time because one, I suppose it's bigger. Two, my mum comes up, you know, and, and, we, and we can sit in the garden. So, or we go to my aunt, she's another great cook. And we always at Christmas, her husband's Swedish. We always do a smorgasbord, or Jonas does, which on is Christmas fantastic. Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Well, it's probably um, it's probably normally so. If Christmas, it's probably about the twenty third. Okay. It's like two days before, because otherwise you can't do it Christmas. Eve, then go and eat Christmas lunch. <laughs> And then so, but so that's good. You have to, I like that you're strategic. We're yes. like, that's one big feast. We're going to need yeah. a couple of days kind of break yeah. and yeah. coming back, you know. But that was brilliant this year because we were like, come on, Yannis, you've got to do a smorgasbord, even though we all can't come and eat. And basically he did. And then my cousin, Philip, delivered them to all the houses. So Phil, you know, literally came with this bit of cardboard, which was the board. And it was just brilliant. That's it was really so good. good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm loving that kind of very family yeah. commitment as well. <laughs> You've spoken a lot about your Italian upbringing, which heavily influenced your cookery and approach to food. What did that look like? Because your mum was Welsh, your dad was Irish, and then your grandparents came over and had a fish and chip shop business. Mm. It's all bizarre. No, everyone looks at me and thinks I make it up. My friends, literally friends of mine go, yeah, right. So is your Um, mum got like a thick Welsh accent? I don't think she has, but Neil sort of thinks she does sound a bit Welsh. I don't think she does. So her parents both emigrated after the First World War to Wales. And mum was born in Wales of Italian parents. My father, born in Ireland, Irish parents then came over when he was about four. They both met up. Then from Wales, my grandparents moved up to Essex and there were three brothers and they had three fish and chip shops, one in Beckentree, one in Barking, one in Dagenham. Then my mum and dad met when they were both living in Essex. So I don't think mum has a Welsh accent, but sometimes people, my friend Nicola thinks she does. So it was, we were, and unfortunately, um, my father, he was he was great. He was in the Royal Navy, but he died when we were very young. And we, we'd moved to Kent by then because mum, that was convenient for dad's work, I suppose. And then, so when we were about um, 10, 11, we moved back up to Essex to be nearer to my mum's mum. Right. And her brothers and sisters made sense. So we lived about 15 minutes down the road from my grandmother. So that's probably when I really, so I did a lot of cooking with my mum at home when we were in Kent. But when I came out, I'd always be cooking and helping my grandmother because I was the the granddaughter was around the corner and that was expected. I mean, Philip, I talked about Philip the other day. He was saying to a friend, you know, he's going, I've got to go and do this for my mum. And they go, you not do a lot for your family. He goes, yeah, it's sort of expected. You don't really question it. You just do it, you know. And it is true, you know, like Philip will go and clean cupboards for my mum or my sister will go and deliver something else. And it's like, what the hell? We're like insanity, you know. But, you know, it's just, and so... 
these habits and, and and that's probably why we're very close as a family and you know and we do you know it was that you sat at the table and you ate together and you ate good food we were very fortunate and Nonna was, was a great good kind of ritual evening or lunch you know we never mum never let us watch tv and we and, it, and actually because we never did you never wanted to you know yeah. it just didn't so you it all, just wasn't an option you yeah. don't ever we kind of grew up and like i that. remember the only time i ever watched tv with my grandmother is when one time we had the tea on our laps and we sat in the front room and watched Ronald Reagan. I don't know why he was making a speech, but I do vividly remember that. And I was like, you know, this is unbelievable. She wanted to watch the news and that was the only time we did it. In my mind, one of the your earliest dishes that you must have learned to cook had to be fish and chips. Well, ironically, no, <laughs> because that's the thing. Yeah, I did work in the fish and chip shop, but I only ever did the chips. But we didn't have that at home because you owned a fish and chip shop. Why would you cook it at home? But would you eat from there frequently? Well, you would sometimes because we lived above it for a while right. when we first moved out because we had nowhere to until mum bought a house. Um, so we did have it then. And it, when I'd work there, mum would say, right, bring some fish and chips back for everyone. And we do eat fish and chips a lot. I mean, we yeah. probably have fish and chips at least once a month. And do you go vinegar then? salt or salt and vinegar oh vinegar then salt yeah i yeah. think so because you need something to stick yeah, to yeah yeah but some people do it the other way around and yeah I... yeah i think so and actually i sort of <laughs> don't do it all because then the chips get soggy i sort of do the bit i'm about to yeah oh okay so you're gradual yeah, yeah i'm a gradual yeah <laughs> and i don't necessarily what i what i tend to love now is more tartar sauce i have to say homemade yeah if we can otherwise we now go to the one wish and fish and chip shop we go to a lot is high tide in upminster where my mum lives right. and my nonna used to go there i mean neil and i went there the other night because we were going to see my mum we took some and I said, Neil, I've been coming here since I was about 12. You know, I'm now 50, you know, because they've run it for so long. Do you, know? you have some kind of loyalty stamp situation or something? Well, they're always really good. You know, they always look after us. And, and one time, I mean, they were amazing. There was one time I had to go and pick up my mum's tablets and she was staying with us and I wasn't going to get to the chemist in time in Upminster. And I called up High Tide. This is how great they were. And I said, would you run down? He ran down to the chemist for me and got mum's tablets. Oh, okay. Which, well, you know, that's that's pretty good that's from community. your local. Yeah, that's community. <laughs> so. It's like, and I will be picking up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. pick up and I'll take eight fish and chips as well. So, yeah, like, exactly. Double yeah. Make up for it. You've had an enormously successful career. You famously worked your way up the ranks beneath Gordon Ramsay, winning numerous Michelin stars. And in 2002, headed up the grill room at the Connaught, uh, which garnered much scrutiny, but won a Michelin star regardless, with clientele just not ready to embrace the Italian inspired menu and female at the helm tell me about this i'm so like how much how much harder did this, did this make your job was it as bad as that sounds how long was um, it before you started i think one is shift? you know i think with gordon there's always a bit of controversy isn't it and he says stuff to rile people in the press as much as anything just to get a bit of you know coverage and headlines and there were i mean because the connaught was very traditional yeah. you know and there were people that would come in would come certain days eat certain things and that's what they did and they wanted to eat dover sole or smoked salmon you know remember we did breakfast lunch dinner afternoon tea room service the whole shebang you know especially on breakfast we had certain people that sat on certain tables every day of the week they had the same menu didn't change that's so amazing. suddenly to come in and have this that what they thought would turn it upside down was quite ironic and there was this great guy one of these couple of americans that would always stay and he and he met me and we chatted away and then he texted his friends going, it's all right, she's all right, we like her, she's good. You know, oh so, my God, so you got the seal of approval. Yeah, I mean, most people embraced it. There's probably a few people like Lydia, uh, Lilia, who was my reception manager at the time. One guy rang up, I can't remember who it was, and they sort of said, he goes, um, is she still there? And Lydia <laughs> goes, uh, who do you mean? And he, he goes, that woman, that chef woman. And she goes, Angela, yes, yes, she's still here. He goes, oh, 
God, I can't stand it. I don't want to. And she go, and he goes, right, I'll book a table. She goes, why do you want to book a table? <laughs> don't, if you don't, you don't you know, to. if you don't have to, so don't book it. Anyway, so I'm happy to say a lot of customers <laughs> who came to me at the Connaught still come to me at Murano, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, a lot of them are creatures of habit, which I think, I, mean, I remember one guy saying to me, you know, Angie, if you don't open up within a year, we'll have found, because, you know, that's the way they work. So I think, you know, and that, what I it, I really got to appreciate was really about looking after your regulars yeah. and, you know, people that were going to support you day in, day out. And so I loved it. I thought it was great. I met some great friends and staff members who worked with me then still work with me. So, you know, it, it's amazing. It was a great place. How quick did that kind of shift happen? Was it as dramatic as that kind of sounds? Or was because actually when I kind of went back through and was looking at the menus, yeah. there was actually still a lot of very traditional kind of oh, French yeah. inspired. No, definitely. I mean, what dishes. we realised, Neil Ferguson at the time was my head chef and he was phenomenal, phenomenal cook. Um, and he really did know how to make great French dishes. What we did then in the grill room was keep the classics. You know, if people wanted smoked salmon, they had smoked salmon. Then we gave them Dover. So, you know, I wasn't after you got over the initial. It's like, if this is what people want and they're going to pay for it. So we had the two menus aligned, yeah. you know, and we always would keep classic dishes on. And then if certain people came, we made sure things were available. And, and that's the thing. Like I've got regulars at Marana who love a tart to tan. Now we don't always have it on the menu, but if they're coming in, we'll make sure it's available. And then, cause that's, you know, that's about looking after your customers. I love yeah. That. I actually heard you in an interview say that back in the day, the Connaught used to get invited to dine there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's so, it, it, I think just the idea of it being such an institution, it's yeah. just incredible. Well, it was like, like a club you know yeah. I mean that was the thing people you had to be invited to dine they invited to stay there it wasn't like a normal hotel you rang up and sort of said it and Anthony Lee who was the hotel manager at the time was incredible you know his attention to detail with his guests from knowing I mean we've been talking about knowing their dog's name to what what age their kids were what exams they were taking you know and again I learned a lot from him and that whole thing about how you look after your, your customers and guests he was incredible so important isn't it yeah i actually also read um there was stats so at the end of kind of gordon ramsay holdings kind of coming yeah. out of claridge's and the connaught there were stats of what you had cooked in terms of numbers of dishes oh wow and Gosh. it was something like and I, I was trying to find the article again yesterday because my husband was like he was like working out how many that would have meant you would have yeah, served yeah, every yeah, single yeah, day yeah. it was something like the lobster ravioli was like the most pop popular oh, right. dish yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it was like beef wellington it was like over three hundred thousand oh, dishes God, served yes, across yeah. like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then it was kind of showing the earnings off the back of that oh my what gosh. the chef table earned. I was like this is so bonkers yeah, just yeah, the volume yeah, like, yeah exactly 300,000 it's nuts like, yeah. it's crazy in 2007 your services to the hospitality industry were recognized in the form of an MBE your yeah. empire has since grown and in 2012 you partnered with Robin Hudson who saw you collaborate with Luke Holder who yeah. I just recently interviewed at Hartnett Holder and Co at Limewood Hotel 2013 came with the launch of Merchants Haven in Shoreditch mm. shortly followed by Cafe Murano later that year, which went on to win a Michelin star of its own. You've since launched Cafe Murano, which now has four outposts. Mm. And on top of that, you supply Fortnum and Mason with homemade pasta. Yeah. Which essentially, in my mind, means you're supplying the queen with her carbs, <laughs> her fix of carbs. And like, I was really sat there thinking about it. Everyone's like, that's the queen's like yeah, supermarket. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's quite a CV and uh, one that followed a degree in history. Mm. Where did your pathway to a life and career in food start? And how were those early years kind of breaking into the industry? Um, I think I always wanted to, I like the idea. I mean, we touched on it earlier about fish and chips. And I loved, I used to help on a Friday in the fish and chip shop. And I love the idea. So once a year, Vic, who was the manager, who was Italian, came from the same village as my grandparents. 
he would go back to Italy for a whole month. So we'd either look after the shop or, you know, I had relatives that would close their fish and chip shop for the summer because they'd always go on holiday. I thought, that's a great idea. I love that idea, close the business, go away. And I like the idea of being your own boss. So I think that's what's inspired me to want to run a restaurant. And I liked, and I was quite good at cooking. You know, I was okay. I'm, I'm not stupid, but I'm not academic like my brother and sister. They're really, you know, both smart. A degree in history does... Yeah, but, you know, it was all right. I wasn't the best <laughs> does degree. does suggest but, you might yeah. be quite academic. Um, I winged it a lot. As my friend and I, Lara, said, we've managed to scrape by. But, uh, you know, and I know, like, you know, when I write emails, my grammar, my English is just appalling. But I think I am probably slightly dyslexic, but that's whatever. So I always wanted to run a business I like the idea I never thought food would come into its own like this I never thought it would be so popular and who would have thought you'd have a chef on the front of Time magazine and all this sort of stuff so it's pretty um, great and it's good fun and I love it and um, and I was very lucky so I left Cambridge uh, Polly took local jobs in a pub and a bar and then thought I better start getting a bit serious ended up working at Midsummer House for a guy Hans Schweitzer Then he sent me to Barbados for six months to work out there, which was great fun. And then I sort of thought, well, I should sort of, you know, either you can stay out there or basically get a job. And I came back and I started working in London and that's when I started working for Gordon. And I think when I started working for Gordon, I really started thinking, okay, I've got to get serious. It was just the the real change of, you know, Gordon's, you know, attention to detail, his consistency, you know, Michelin star, all that sort of stuff, which I'd never really thought about. And actually, he, you know, he was right, you know, that first meal that you serve has got to be as good as the last meal you serve. And, you know, whoever comes in at 10 o'clock should be given the same service as the person who comes in at five o'clock, you know, um, and then continued working for Gordon to look for 17 years. Um, And then, Moved on. We bought Murano together and then I bought him out uh, a couple of years later. Yeah. And then since then, like um, we've got three Cafe Muranos now. We don't do Merchants Tavern anymore. We did that, but we sort of sold our shares, right, right. Neil and I. Because Neil, he was getting, Neil unfortunately had a massive accident about five or six years seven, eight years ago now. And Merchants was probably just too big for him. So we thought, let's cut our losses. Let's move out. Right, right. Partners okay. bought us out. All fine. It's all good. But, and now we're, we are where we are. When you kind of hear back that list of achievements and mm. what you've done, do you feel like, God, yeah, I've really lived that, like that it was full on. Did you ever imagine you would kind of achieve no, no, so never. Much. I never. I always thought when I was back in Cambridge working at the Blue Boar and the Free Best, I thought I'd have one little restaurant in a high street and that would be it. No, I don't think anyone predicted food would get like it's got. Yeah. I don't think anyone thought, you know, you had Floyd on TV, you had Delia, but who'd have thought Two you were happy? Yeah, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. You know, I blame Pat Llewellyn. She's a very good friend of mine. Unfortunately, Pat died um, three years ago, but she was the one who put Jamie Oliver on TV. She right. did... She did the two fat ladies. You know, she, I think, really put food out there. And then, of course, things like travel changed everyone's appetite for it. You know, suddenly people could do really cheap travel. They'd fly abroad. They'd see great food and they wanted to eat it here. So, you know, and and, and still I think our industry is evolving now, you know. So it's great. I mean, it's it's now what it... What is good now is people see it actually as a career. Yeah. Whereas I think I remember reading the caterer way back in the day at Midsummer House and someone said, why are you a chef? And they said, oh, the building course was full up. And you think that's what it was. People became a chef because they couldn't think of anything else to do. Yeah. Whereas actually now people want to be a chef or they want to be a waiter or they want to be a manager and it's a career, which is good. And do you think that makes it easier in terms of building a team beneath you? Yeah. Because actually everyone really wants to be there and are so passionate and driven. 
I think it definitely needs to be like that because I think, you know, and, you know, we've had all, everyone coming back to work and we've, you know, put in things in place. And I said, you know, if you don't want to be here, you shouldn't be here because it will show in your service. It will show yeah. in the food, you know, and you've got to want to believe it and you've got to want to do this job, you yeah. know. Did you find with Gordon Ramsay, I feel like he has this infectious kind of drive like when you mm. hear him talk about the stuff you know what he wanted to achieve I think at the end he did he get like over his over the years it's 17 stars or something something like that probably, something, yeah. you know mm. to have that like drive and that yeah. ambition did was that infectious did you think I want to be like that or I want to take you know because he was also challenging no, I mean I never I never wanted to the the star thing I love having a star at Murano um and I'd love to get two stars Emu's the head chef there is brilliant and so deserves one but it doesn't I don't wake up every morning like Gordon probably one to run I like the fact we do the cafes and I, I know I think where my skill is in myself is I know my limitations and capabilities yeah. you know I know what drives me and what doesn't I like working with good people like, I love working with Robin and Luke at Limewood you know I think that's great you know I love doing stuff like with Greg at Smart Hospitality you know so there's things I don't I'm not I'm driven by money in the sense that you know I want to earn a decent living and I want to be able to pay for stuff but if someone put all the money in the world and then put someone I, who was there and I suddenly thought, I don't want to work with you. It wouldn't make any difference. You right. know, I'm really, it's about the relationship the for me and the people. Yeah. yeah. And I get the sense actually from speaking with Luke Holder, who you yeah. work with or collaborate with at Limewood, that it's very much this kind of family, like the vibe you've got going there is, you know, very collaborative. It's about the people. It's yeah. about building that yeah and definitely you know with Robin it, it's definitely a, a big sort of great relationship with Luke we you know I don't chat to Luke every day but he's become a very good friend you know we sort of go out to dinner we go on holiday you know we do stuff and I remember the first time I said to him oh when you ever come up to London you know you must uh come and stay and he sort of felt it was a bit weird but now you know <laughs> He's like, yeah. I overstepped the mark. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Karin and him are really, you know, his wife and the kids, we get on famously, you know, and there are, and there's good times, you know, and sometimes I'll go and say, oh, come on, Luke, but that's not quite right. But I don't need to teach Luke how to cook. Luke's a brilliant chef. Where I come in is the sort of how you run the kitchens, the direction, you know, working together and that collaboration, which is great. Yeah. And, you know, there'll always be that. And I realise with Luke over time, I'll say something and he needs to come to that decision himself. Right. You know, and like he'll go, you know, you said that thing. I said, what, ages ago? Yeah, I was right. I said, one of these days you're going to listen, <laughs> you know, and we sort of do that. But yeah, no, he's good. Well, I had very delicious. He is um, very delicious. Yeah. <laughs> He's very delicious. He and so is, is yeah. the food. Yeah. <laughs> I had actually done three months without pasta, which is my oh, wow. first ever yeah. <laughs> time not eating pasta for that length of time. Anyway. So he made me just a feast of various pastas and nice. gnocchi. And yes, I really, really yeah. ate everything. How, how do you think you made your mark within the hospitality and kind of cooking industry? And is there a competitive element in professional kitchens? Are people actively trying to stand out? Did you find that challenging when you were trying to work your way up? Um, I think what's always worked in my favour is being a woman. I think because, I, I mean... I love that you say that. No, it has. I mean, without doubt, you know, if you think about, you know, I'm 52 now. So mm. when I started, there were very few female chefs, certainly not working 
in the likes of Gordon's Kitchens and all those sort of big kitchens. So that was great. So I stood out. Then when Gordon um, expanded and there was Marcus, there was Jason Atherton, Marcus Waring, there was myself, Stuart Gillies, Mark Sarge. You know, he had a great brigade of yeah. people. Again, I was the woman. You know, so a lot of the times people would go to Gordon for something and then they'd go, all right, can we have Angela? Because it was a different angle. Right, right. You know, and I remember PR and stuff and people, you know, some of the guys go, Angela always gets, and they said, but it's more interesting to have a woman's perspective than necessarily a bloke. So it always put me in good stead and it, it made me stand out. And lots of times people are like, oh God, she's amazing. And I'd say, I am good, but I'm not as good. I don't think <laughs> I'm as good a chef as Jason or Marcus. And I'm not doing myself a disservice. Why? What's the... No, I, ju- I think I'm a good chef, but I stand out because I'm a woman at that level and right. cooking in that industry. But I know my capabilities. I know what I like. I know the food I like doing. And, um, and you know, and I think they're much more um, OCD about cooking and right. stuff and, and much more, you know, exacting. Whereas I, 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 uh, I'll be a bit more, I'll just throw a little bit in or left like that. And I think as an industry, I think we're absolutely, I think a lot of people used to think that we were very uncooperative and stabbing each other in the back. But actually, I think we're probably one of the best industries. I think, you know, when Neil, I'd mentioned his accident, he had his accident, the amount of people that called me and said, what do you need? Do yeah. you need chefs? Do you need this? Do you need, you know? I remember Jason calling me up. He goes, Ange, do you want me to send guys over to Murano? You know, and, you know, and all those sort of things. And I think, you know, I think as an industry, we need to, but we are supportive. And and Robert said it in a, an article recently, he said, you know, the hospitality industry can look back in this past year and be proud of itself. Mm. You know, because, yeah, we did Cook 19, but we were one of many, 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 many chefs and restaurateurs and hoteliers doing their bit for COVID. Yeah. Know? Was there a moment um, or experience that you can pinpoint as being pivotal in cementing your career in cookery? I suppose probably when we got our Michelin star. That was pretty amazing to get that. I remember sitting down with Mr. Argles and he um, he, he told me it was a Connaught. And I, also, and I thought it was great. And just what he said about the food, and I said, it's, you know, and I always, you know, uh, ask loads of questions. You know, I never hold back when I meet the inspectors. And he said, no, he goes, it's nothing about the, the design, the style. It's just, you know, you can put your food in a garage. It's about what you put on the plate and the consistency of it. And I always say to guys, I said, it is consistency. Do never, ever, ever think it's not. And that's right. That's what Michelin's about. And, you know, a lot of people have a go at it and all the rest of it. But I think it's great for young chefs to get it. And I wouldn't want to lose the star. And I think, you know, it's a, a recognition that you are doing something good. Um, so I like that. Um, and I think that was brilliant to do that. And I think probably when I got my MBE was pretty amazing as well. Yeah. You know, that was a real proud thing for, you know, my mum, you know, going to the palace and all that. Yeah, so of course. she was really, you know, it was great, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And has there ever been a moment where you thought, do you know what, this isn't for me? Or, you know, this is actually, I've had enough or... I have to say, I don't think I have actually. I think I think the moment you sort of think that, you probably is time to get out because I genuinely think you need to be driven and want to be in it and driven by it. Um, but I th- I've had moments where I'm thinking, oh God, this is so hard or this is, you know, God, this is exhausting or mentally you're challenged more by staff more than anything. And there were times when, um, when I was working with Gordon at the aubergine, because we were doing six days a week. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, God, this is so hard. But I stuck it out because, I, you know, I'm quite sort of, I'm quite loyal and committed. And I sort of think if you're going to do it, you know, do it. You yeah. Know? So, and I, you know, and I look back now and what some of the friends I made then are still my friends. You know, yeah. I still talk to Gordon regularly, you know, love Marcus, Jack, you know, all those guys. So it's brilliant. And do you think that's maybe what 
kind of gave you the upper hand because a lot of chefs talk about the turnover of chefs within the, yeah. the, the higher yeah. Michelin starred restaurants you know mm. there's a high turnover yeah. do you think because you had that staying power and that determination that put you in good stead to kind of learn and yeah. progress and-, and I always see I mean when I interview young cooks I always say you know don't don't come for six months a year you've got to do minimum a year in a restaurant you know if I look at a CV where I say three months three months I think it's no point because you haven't done a season you know, think of the calendar, what you cook in winter and what you cook in summer, you right. know, if you really want to learn from a chef. And I always say, you know, like people ask the advice, what should you do? Where should you go? And I sort of think, you know, go off and um, work in a great hotel restaurant because you see everything, you know, working at a place like Limewoods, you know, yeah. where Luke's doing breakfast, you know, and the irony is it's like getting someone to make a proper afternoon tea sandwich, and, you know, or to make, you know, fresh pasta. And they'll all go, oh, yeah, fresh pasta, of course I can do that. And say, well, actually, make me an omelette, you know, make me, a, you know, and, you know, to make scrambled eggs, yeah. you know. And, like, Robin is, oh, my God, mad about how he wants his scrambled eggs made, you know. And the how does he want them? Alignment. Folded, not whisked. Yeah, of course, yes. Which is the right way to do it. And I've been out because we do portetta together as well out in the French Alps. And Robin sat for breakfast oh, and I, I was that. there. Yeah, and he sort of called me over and I was like, oh. God, what's happened now? You know, <laughs> and he showed me, and then they sent him these whisk scrambled eggs. And I went in the kitchen. I said, "What idiot? Excuse, you know." It's like, do we not know? Have I not taught you know? And he's like, "Go and sort this out." You know, there so. was a real phase of doing your eggs in the microwave. Oh God, I've never done that. I, like, and people would scramble them, and it's just like it comes out like rubber, like yeah. a, like a weird. Yeah, I love it, like you have them on an airplane. Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, I actually don't have a microwave. My dad frequently says to me, "Oh, well, you can just do that. Pop that in the microwave." Like, I've yeah. got a microwave. No, I've, I've all, never. I was like, I don't, I yeah. don't want a microwave. I've got an oven and a hob. <laughs> How challenging do you think juggling the restaurants, TV collaborations and living a kind of balanced life is or does that notion not kind of exist for you? Um, No, it does exist. I think one, I don't do as much TV. I think people think you do more TV than I probably do because you sort of might be like, well, they've just repeated another series. So sometimes people might not have seen that or whatever. So I do, I do stints of TV, but I tend to, I'd say my life is more working in the restaurants than TV. So you balance that and you just have to balance it by having a good team underneath you. It's that simple. You can't do it if you haven't got people in place to run the restaurants. Do you still work in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still go and do Murano more. I probably do one shift a week in the cafes just because I think that's the other thing. I think you can't see what's going on unless you're in them. Right. You know, I genuinely believe that. I mean, um, so to j- literally got to see what's going on. You've got to understand where, where waste is, what's cooked, you know, all mm. those sort of things. I think they're really important. And then I think you all want a life. You know, my chefs want a life. My managers want a life. So I can't sit there and make them work 27 hours a day, seven days a week. And I want a life. You know, I want to have my weekends off and nights off. You know, I, I'm, I've an age now. I don't want to be working every day of the week. So... Um, I think that's it's important to have a balance and I think you can do it you know I remember in an article I think I was, it was Chris Galvin said to me and he was like thanks Ange for that article and I said what did I do because you talked about the fact that you go and get your hair done you get your nails done you go and you know he goes you made it sound like you can do it I said well you can you just have to make sure you do the time I want time for myself mm-hmm. so if I want to go and do that I'll do it and you know restaurants not going to stop your restaurants are brilliant that you know it's my career but it's not your life, you know, you've got to have a life outside of them as well, I think. Was there a point that that wasn't the case? Or do you do you think you've kind of, you've reached the point where you can now afford yourself that? Balance? I think there's always a, ca- a time when it's never the case. You know, if we were short staff now, I would be working all the time in the restaurants. Right. But because I'm trying to make sure there's things in place to do that. And what I'm very good at is saying no. There was a time when... um. 
I would always, I'd put my name on the rotor and there was an expectation that, oh, she'll cover. And now I, you know, when I've had it and I go, guys, I'm not covering it. You're head chefs. You need to do it and run your rotor. I will step in if it's a crisis, but do not expect that I'm there to cover a chef to party chef, you know. Yeah. And we always laugh because I did help when Pitt was head chef at Murano and we were short. And I said, oh, I'll come and do the pasta. And of course, they're all giggling away thinking, is she going to sink on the pasta? So, you know. <laughs> Tell me you did it. Like, no, of course not. <laughs> I was determined. I was like, God, I can't show myself up. So I was like 10, 30, all set. I said, you see, guys, that's how you do yeah. it. You know, so it's all that sort of thing, which is good. Yeah. Coming from a part Italian family, did having this authentic upbringing around Italian cuisine bring a certain authority and confidence when it came to cooking Italian food? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've, I know what I know because in like all Italians, Does every... it feel instinctive? Yeah, certain things. I, You know, I know how to make a great bowl of pasta. I know how to make sure it's coated and I understand all that sort of thing. I think the key for me is the, um, I know the region of Emilia Romagna. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily know the region of Calabrian food. And I read up on stuff and I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I've never been afraid to say I don't know. And I yeah. think that is key in our business. It's far too often chefs like, yeah, I know, I know. And it's like, do you, you know, <laughs> do you? And, you know, and I've never since my days with Gordon, I will put my hand up and go, I don't know what, what that is or yeah. how to do that. And, you know, people might be shocked, but then I'll go, well, you know, I don't know everything, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I judge the Roos Scholarship every year. And that is very classical French food. Yeah. And every time they put the thing out, I always nudge Brian Turner. I said, what, what is that? What's that? You know, and he's like, gee, I said, no, nothing. You know, so, um, but I think you shouldn't be afraid to ask. And, you know, how can everyone know everything mm. about food? Um, but, you know, I certainly know what good pasta is and bad pasta. That's for sure. And in terms of other cuisines, do you have anything else that you absolutely adore? Love, love? Japanese yeah. food. I think Japanese food is amazing. Just the cleanliness of it, the style of it. I think it's just, just brilliant. I love Japanese food. I really like, um, I like, you know, curries. I love that too. I like great Chinese food. I mean, M, my friend, um, her and her partner, Kim, Kim's from Thailand, but both of them really, I mean, they've, they do this amazing duck, you know, like a proper Peking mm. duck. And I've been over there a couple of times. It's so, so delicious. And they make all the, the hoisin sauce, they make their beans, you know, I mean, they're getting married next year and we're going to do a massive trip to Thailand and everything. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah. In one of your cookery books, you have a lot of family recipes. Is there any room for kind of uh, interpretation when it comes to recreating those recipes or is it very much, this is the family recipe? Certain things it is, but no, definitely interpretation. I remember, uh, the, so the thing we do a lot of, which is spinach and ricotta tortelli, which is really simple, but easy and delicious. My grandmother would always put an egg in it. She'd right. always put an egg to sort of set it right. firmer. And I don't in the, in the, in the actual filling right, itself, right. you know, and I don't. And I remember when I first did it, my cousin, my mum's first cousin, Louisa, rang up my mum going, oh, that recipe's wrong. And mum was like ringing me up going, what's this about this recipe? And I said, mum, it's not wrong. I said, it's my version of it. I said, Louisa can, you know, take a run and a jump, you know. <laughs> But it is, you and know, just, there's certain things that, you know, my mum's convinced everyone makes recipes up and doesn't give her the full recipes. It's just hysterical. I'm sure that's not. Have you really included all the ingredients in that? You know, anyway. <laughs> so there's a lot of recipe swapping. And now that you are such an acclaimed chef, do you get any kind of authority when it comes to the recipe? No, not no, at all. My no mum, my mum is the best, as Neil says, Angela's cooked for some of the best chefs in the world, movie stars and all the rest of it. But still her mother is her biggest. Yeah, mum, oh no, mum's very critical. She'll be like, no, no, I'm not quite sure about that. Or yeah, no, very good, very good, delicious. You know, no, but 
<laughs> on the other hand, I take it from my mum because she knows what she's talking about. You know, she yeah. is good, yeah. And how often do you go back over to Italy and do you travel around Italy a lot? What's do the- you like to travel around Italy, like to go there on holiday? I think that's a great place. Um, do try and go there at least once a year, like do a proper vacation. We're still fortunate enough to have a house out there. So where my grandmother came from. So we'll go and visit cousins and stuff there. And whereabouts but is that? That's a place called Bardi, which okay. is in Emilia-Romagna. So about two hours from Bologna, an hour from Parma. Yeah. Um, so that's a brilliant place as well. So, um, yeah, we like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's good. I remember um, we actually got married out in Italy and mm. my husband's vegetarian. So we had, um, we'd traveled down through Italy and we'd yeah. gone down to Positano and had this amazing meal and they had served this uh, green pepper and pistachio risotto. And I was like, this is so delicious. Right. Anyway, you go back up north and they're like, that, what? Yeah. That doesn't exist. Like, yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. mean? Like yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. isn't an Italian dish. No, it's no, definitely no. something we've never come across. Yeah. Like, but as kind of shocked and like, they're you know, very, very regional so and very, regional. yeah, they really don't. You don't, I mean, then that's it. You do, it's odd to even get risottos down south unless it's a seafood risotto yeah. because, you know, especially on the coast and you certainly wouldn't get anything anyway. It's just the way they are. Yeah, it's and it's just very, you know, yeah. this is what we're doing here. Mm. This is our yeah. know, speciality and that's that. Like, mm. okay. uh, sustainability is currently under scrutiny from consumers and the press with labelling such as dolphin friendly, tuna, sustainable fishing, um, and just, I guess, the concept of sustainability. With so many conflicting messages, how do you as a restaurateur kind of navigate it and decide who you partner with and how you do it responsibly? Well, I think you have to. I mean, we we I think everyone's got a big push on it. And I think everyone has to. I think especially after post-COVID, the amount of plastic now in your businesses because of all the sanitization, all the rest of it is ludicrous, you know. Yeah. Um, so we've really do, you know, we've, we've, we've started, one of the things is we want all our suppliers to have that sort of sustainable chain. So we know where things are coming from and, you know, the, you know, the authenticity of the products and the produce we use then about how it comes to us, you know, so I've just invested not a lot of money, you know, a couple of hundred quid in buying all these crates, so they're crates that have Cafe Murano on and then basically we give them to suppliers. So all our veg comes in these crates. We return them. So there's no more cardboard boxes coming through the yeah. building as much as possible. Fish, we've got these plastic boxes that are recyclable and reusable. So it's all those sort of things that I think you do. We minimise the amount of cling film, putting lids on stuff as opposed to Because you do need to balance it out because, you know, I've been to restaurants that won't use it but they'll cover everything with a cloth, which then you have to wash. So then you're wasting, you know, so, you know, you've got to find your balance, you know, there's got to be, you know, you know, the less use of things like backpack bags, you know, so it's all that sort of thing, which I think is quite important and needs to be. Mm. And I think you have it, you have responsibility to your businesses, you have it to your clients, to your guests and your, and your staff. And I think, they judge as well. I think people come and they'll want to know, you know, are you recycling? Are you, you know, so we have, bins in the kitchen so we have a food bin we have a you know recycle bin we have waste you know and actually the waste should be the minimum you know that should be the least yeah and do you um do you watch any of the documentaries that have kind of been about recently the sea spiracies i haven't watched it i've read different things who is amazing is dougie mcmanus who um mcmaster actually who runs silo and i saw his tweet about it and he sort of said you know it's true but, you know, you need fishing, you know, that's part of what the life is. And to sit there and say, don't eat fish anymore is a slightly ludicrous thing to yeah. say, you know, but just just use or buy your fish from sustainable, properly managed fishermen. You yeah. know, that's the thing. The day yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
it's yeah I feel like it is for as a consumer it feels hard to navigate yeah. at times because you just don't necessarily I, I think there there is that kind of element of the greenwashing mm. and sustainability yeah. just being used as this kind of blanket like okay yeah this is sustainable and mm. but actually you want that transparency yeah. to know where that comes from and yeah. how, how it you know so that every stage of the farming or the fishing sure. is yeah. kind of yeah, exactly. looked into and yeah, and customers want to know. They de- they want to know you're buying from good farmers, good produce. You know, it's not coming on, you know, a trek from um, flown in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any top restaurants that you go back to time and time again? And oh yeah, loads. Um, St John Bread and Wine around the corner from the me. Catcher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Um, they um, then who's the, uh, I love um, Braun I think that's yes. a great restaurant I love Noble Rot that's another one yeah. you know all those you know Brat I think good you know all those sort of places I love I love going to 45 German Street I like Shiki so yeah. you know I do sort of tend to go to a lot but Neil and I have made a little uh commitment that we said we're going to start every month going to a new restaurant you know because otherwise you end up missing out on stuff yeah. you know I hadn't been to lots of places and I thought god again you know, really got to try and keep up with places so we're going to be doing that once everything opens up yeah and any great little takeaways that you go to around here don't really do a lot of takeaways if I'm honest t- you know we but we we'll go to restaurants that might do it like Somsa do fantastic takeaway do food which take- well they have been whether they'll do that eventually and there's a couple of um Japanese places for sushi but I don't tend to where'd you go for sushi because I found that a tricky one there's to- um I de- well Neil found this great place that a neighbor told us but I can't remember the name of it but there is a local one I'll find out and I'll let <laughs> you know but it was very good we had it the other night anyone that's inspiring you in the world of food right now or any young chefs we should be keeping an well, eye on? Well, there's loads. There's quite a few young chefs coming through. Sally Abel, I think, is great. I okay. put her name forward for someone was looking for a chef. I said, speak to Sally. She's a great chef. She's a good one. I like what Claire's doing. I think she's to get two stars Claire's is brilliant. She's great, Claire. Core. You know, at core, she's great. I love Em, who works for me. She's really, I find her food inspirational. You know, she's really smart. Yeah, I love Lee at Black Axe. You know, I mean, we're very lucky um, that there's loads of places to eat. Very fortunate. Do you feel like, do you feel a sense of responsibility to kind of nurture the chefs beneath you and hope that they'll go on to create incredible restaurants? I mean, whether they want to create incredible restaurants is neither here nor there. I think you you have a responsibility to teach them as much as possible, make them have a good understanding about things. And that's what I really do. So, you know, about, you know, filleting fish, doing, you know, proper whole chickens, you know, understanding that sort of thing. So... I do like that. And I think that is important. I think you should be able to do that. But, um, and, you know, teaching them about, like, we've got a lot of supplier trips planned. So all that sort of thing, I think is, yeah, you do have that responsibility. What's next for you? Um, we've got, I've got another book coming out next, next year, um, <laughs> which is all about sort of cooking in a community and not community, but just cooking at home, I suppose. Well, all my books are about cooking at home, but this is very much. And Italian yeah, focus? A bit, not necessarily. Okay. Um, and then, um, you know, we, hopefully we do another series of best home cook with Mary, Claudia yeah. and Chris. Um, and then we'll see, you know, so lots of different things, but yeah, no, carry on. We'd like to open another Cafe Murano, another few of those. So they'll be the focus. And I'd like to really make sure we get a good sort of push a bit more on the takeaway range because I think that still be around. So yeah, there's still lots to do. Yeah. And I guess that kind of comes under what you want to achieve. Is there anything that you've kind of got your sights on for, you know, the next 10 years? No, not really. I, I mean, God, I'd love to start working in five years <laughs> if I'm absolutely honest. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be <laughs> working until I'm 70. I don't, you know, I do want to get to a stage where I can hang up the aprons you know and we'd probably get to a stage where we'd end up selling the cafes but 
what I'd like is to keep Murano and then sort of give it to, not give it, but say to someone like an M or someone else and say, right, you know what? Here's 40% of the business. It's yours to run, you know, and just keep it as rolling on like that. Yeah. So this is the part of the show that I'm particularly passionate about. Yeah. Um, the sandwich yeah. uh, making. And I've been very excited that you'll be making a sandwich. Yeah. Um, what's your stance firstly on condiments? Um, well, to be honest, I'm going to, I've got mayonnaise and a bit of mustard. Depends what the sandwich is, really. I suppose depends on the condiments. I don't think it's necessarily a given that they do always have condiments. Oh, really? Well, I mean, you could make a really nice chicken sandwich and you could do chicken, lettuce. I suppose, yeah, you'd dress it with mayonnaise. So I suppose mayonnaise is my big one in a sandwich. I've got to be honest, yeah, mayonnaise. And just in terms of condiments in general, what's, do you have a big collection? What's we the- do. You know, it sort of winds me up that we have all these like, like bottles with tiny bits left in. So I'm always trying to use stuff up, you know, like make dressings and stuff like that. But I do like having, I mean, Dijon mustard is probably my go-to yeah. condiment. So Dijon mustard, I really love. Mayonnaise, I like. So yeah, those sort of things are good. And what sandwich are you going to make? Make an egg sandwich, (gasps) egg and watercress. There is a couple of classics that people really... Yeah. The egg and the kimchi cheese toasty has been a favourite. See, kimchi wouldn't be... Yeah, that's probably a Luke thing, isn't it? Luke, yeah. Yeah, 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 (laughs) Is kimchi not for you? I can take it or leave it. I understand why people like it, but I think I got to a stage where I didn't want to go to another restaurant and have a chef go, here's my homemade kimchi. I'm like, I don't care if I want it. I'll buy it. You know, don't give me any more kimchi. Anyway. So egg and mayonnaise. Yeah. Um, and is this your kind of standard go-to sandwich? How often would you be um, I d- Do I make it? I don't make it that often. I probably, a sandwich, I suppose, is a cheese. There's one you'd probably make more often because it always seems to be in the fridge. But I love, if I'm going out and I buy one, I think St. John make a great egg and cress sandwich. Yes. Who make a brilliant one is Rita's. Yeah. You know, my friend Gabe and Missy run that place and they make a superb um, egg and sandwich and theirs is spicy. I was going to say, because yeah. they had the place in Cold Drop Yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I got some very good tacos from there and actually bought a litre of the Valentina yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mexican sauce, which we've now run out of. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, they've really got great stuff there and they made it nice and spicy and you need like so many napkins to eat that sandwich because <laughs> it gets everywhere. So any spice in today's? So what I have got is I've got watercress, I've got to put a bit of cheese in there because I think a little bit of uh, grated cheese grated cheese in there and then a bit of Dijon mustard oh okay amazing well Angela this has just been such a pleasure thank you so much pleasure no problem thanks a lot thanks thank you for joining me this week on The Filling you can follow me at Anna Barnett Cooks on Instagram for exclusive visuals of my guests fabulous kitchens and for the recipe to recreate their go-to sandwiches and of course subscribe to The Filling on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts The music for today's podcast was recorded by Pony Bones. <laughs>